0: gave us a wonderful poem, but he doesn't give us history.
1: For the first time in history, it has now become possible to separate the truth from fiction. Homer's Iliad, greatest epic of the West. Golden Troy, scene of one of the greatest errors in archaeology. Where crazy quests set out to find the real Troy.
0: There was an Iron Age fort here. Here's the defensive ditch. So these would have been the walls of Troy.
1: But the real Troy is different from what we thought.
2: There was Indo-European population living here. The culture, the pottery, is Anatolian here. Uh, The fortification type
0: is Anatolian.
2: New
1: quests through ancient archives are now revealing new realities.
0: Oh, they've made an enormous difference. They've given us a complete history for most of the second millennium B.C
3: so many things happen uh, at the same time but we are getting this puzzle together it's really exciting times there
1: finds that rock the world of archaeology and new ideas about ancient icons
0: what this suggests is that when Troy was a great city such things as huge animal-shaped vessels on wheels really did exist they were known Why shouldn't someone have devised the idea of using one to besiege a city?
1: Now, as a major Hollywood movie brings Homer's great epic back to life again, as crowds flock to where Troy's glory lies exhibited, science has its story to tell on the truth about Troy, a story of dream and reality.
0: on the windswept that's what Homer calls it very aptly too and few places have had their positions so determined by the combination of strategic position with prevailing winds
1: Donald Easton archaeologist and Troy expert for several years a member of the excavating team the wind blows here forever but not quite this German film crew had to add some tricks when they recorded the exploits of the man whose name is forever tied to Troy, Heinrich Schliemann, its first excavator. Throughout the year almost, sea currents combined with prevailing winds to push down from the northeast, down the Dardanelles, away from the Black Sea. Even today, ships sail down the straits with ease, whereas others have to claw their way up through wind and currents. Trade in ancient times
4: could not be here without Troy. Today, Troy lies at some six kilometers distance from the sea. But on this map, you see that early Troy lay by the shore. Here was a big bay, which has now silted up, which was important for trade then. A natural harbor at the crossroads
1: of trade routes between Asia and Europe, over land, and more importantly, by sea. Shipping then was many times cheaper than trade by land. So, trade made Troy, though only this remains of its former greatness. Visitors are confused when faced with these ruins of a ruin, and only an expert eye can distinguish the many layers of settlement, starting with Troy I, some 3,000 years before Christ, Troy VI and VII in the 13th century BC, when Troy was at its apogee, and later settlement lasting until the end of the Roman Empire. In this bewildering ruin of a ruin, the walls of Troy 6 and 7 stand out. The time around the 13th century BC, the walls which Homer may have had in mind when he composed his Iliad.
0: They demonstrate both power and the need to defend it. Even today, the stone footings stand over five meters high and a further six meters of mud brick walls may have stood on top of that, over 12 meters in all. People who could afford this were rich enough to worry about it.
1: Was this then mighty Ilion the Greeks set out to conquer in Homer's Iliad? An epic of vengeful kings, noble heroes, battle and beauty of women, palaces and treasure which starts off with a bad
0: joke at a marriage between Zeus's daughter Thetis and the mortal Peleus and their son is going to be the hero, Achilles, who is going to play a large role in the story, the goddess of discord, Eris, steps in and she throws into the crowd an apple, destined, she says, for whichever woman amongst you is the most beautiful.
1: Three goddesses contest, and Aphrodite goddess of love is chosen when she promises her judge, Prince Paris of Troy and handsomest of men, the hand of Helen, most beautiful of mortal women. Helen is already married, but doesn't mind being abducted to distant Troy by so handsome a warrior who loots all treasure he can put his hand on into the bargain. It incurs the wrath of the whole Achaean world, which sets out to revenge itself on Troy. It is a war of ten years in which the gods themselves choose sides and battle alongside mortal men. A ferocious war which is won only by the ruse of the wooden horse hiding the Greeks that will put Troy to the torch.
0: Of the entire ten year span of that war, Homer deals simply with less than two months, focusing on a mere ten days towards the end on the breach between Achilles, the greatest of the Greek heroes, and Agamemnon, their supreme king and commander-in-chief.
1: The spite of King Agamemnon denies Achilles the favor of the captive girl, Briseis. For more than the record of a war, Homer's Iliad is the drama unfolding between men and fate. The greatest hero of the Achaeans chooses to remain aloof of the war so that the Trojans almost managed to drive the Greeks into the sea from whence they came. Only the death of his friend Patroclus stirs Achilles back into action. He chases the Trojans back to their walls and slays Troy's great defender Hector, thus denying the city of any further hope.
0: Tiring over everything, is fate, all-powerful, unfathomable. And the story is one which still speaks to us today, touching as it does on everything that's essential in life, on all that matters between gods and men, then as now. Homer's Iliad
1: laid down ideals and ideology for ancient Greece, the framework, how it's saw gods and men.
0: It's hard to imagine the impact the story would have through the ages, and all over the world.
1: The Greeks believed that the Battle of Troy had united them for the first time in their history, and as they spread out along the borders of the Black Sea and Mediterranean, the epic was sung to maintain consciousness of a common identity, a source from which they sprang, making all the difference between them and barbarians, even if Greek
0: fought Greek. Troy came to be seen as a focal point where East clashed with West, where Greek civilization ran up against the barbarians of Asia. So for example, the Persian emperor Xerxes sacrificed a thousand oxen here before marching on the Greeks. And Alexander the Great, who slept with a copy of Homer under his pillow when he set out to conquer the Persians, came to Troy. And sacrificed at the tomb of Achilles. Possibly this tumulus here.
5: To Greeks
0: and Romans before Christianity, Troy
1: was a holy city, drawing multitudes of pilgrims, a city comparable to Mecca, Jerusalem, or Rome today. The Romans believed they descended from the Trojans. Julius Caesar and his family of Julii claimed descent from the goddess Aphrodite and the hero Aeneas, who after all had led the flight from Troy, carrying his father on his back, and by the hand, his son Ascanius or Eulus, hence the family of Julii and Julius Caesar. Temples on Rome's forum held the holy keepsakes Aeneas had carried from Troy
0: and brought to Italy. They were the guarantee that Rome would last forever and among them was the famous Palladium, the statue of the goddess Athena, which had been dragged from Troy.
1: A replica of that ancient holy symbol still stands central in Rome today. One of the reasons Caesar's opponents murdered him was their suspicion that he intended to replace Rome with Troy as the capital of the empire. His successors rebuilt much of the city, and three centuries later, the Emperor Constantine almost carried out the plan.
4: The Supreme Sovereign, the Emperor Constantine, and the Empress Helena.
1: At the Council of Nicaea nearby, Constantine, the first Roman Emperor to embrace Christianity, was putting the church in order, laying the basis of the creed
0: today. While he was here, he looked extensively at Troy because this is where he intended to build the new capital of the Roman Empire. And apparently he started laying out building plans, he decided where walls should go, and even began building towers. But eventually he chose Byzantium, today's Istanbul, also at the entrance to the Black Sea, and much more defensible. And it would have been pretty awkward having the most sacred pagan site as the capital of the new Christian empire. The
1: Crusader Knights of the Middle Ages saw themselves also as avengers of the Greeks, chasing heathen Muslims from Troy. When later Turkish Sultan Mehmet conquered Constantinople, he visited the ruins and in his turn declared the Trojans avenged. With the Renaissance, Troy became the fashion, And the apple of discord, the choice of Paris, a favourite means for a peek at cheek. Troy became the common cradle for
0: Europe's kings and knighthood. Anyone who was anyone traced his ancestry back to Troy. And books such as this history of the world constructed intricate lineages, going back to Hector, to Agamemnon, to Helen, to Paris and biblical figures too, Adam, Eve, Solomon, David, and bringing in everyone from Charlemagne down to minor nobility, all intertwined, all related to the Trojan heroes. So in
1: battle, knights would mercilessly kill a commoner, but spare each other after some bashing about. They were brothers in Troy, sort of family after all.
0: People of all languages claimed an origin in Troy. Normans, Burgundians, even Icelanders. The Franks found an ancestor in Franco, a grandson of the Trojan king Priam. And this chap, Turkus, gave the Turks and their sultan an opportunity to find a Trojan ancestor too. Here at Cologne, A medieval dean of the cathedral, Alexander von Roes, argued that since the Germans carried the germs of Troy in them, they were aptly called Germans. And of course, the British, the English, they claimed descent from the Trojans too. But if that was the case, then the Irish, of course, couldn't. They had to be descended from their enemies, the Achaeans. Troy was everywhere. For example, here at this place on the Rhine, originally founded by the emperor Trajan as Colonia Traiana. Its medieval inhabitants were thrilled to discover in the name a reference to Troy. So they called it Litzella Troia, Little Troy, or Xanten, after the Trojan river Scamander. And when the neighboring Duke, John of Cleves, gained control of Xanten, He had coins minted which proudly proclaimed him Trojanorum Rex, king of the Trojans.
1: Cities everywhere claimed they had been founded by the heroes from Troy or their Achaean foes. Toulouse, Barcelona, Bonn, Bern, Cologne, Paris. London, of course, was the work of a great uncle of Aeneas. And I I give the sign of the cross. Lisbon had been founded by Odysseus.
0: Well, all of that nonsense is the reason why with the age of enlightenment and the rise of science, sharp criticism came to be directed against Homer, asking could there be any historical truth in his story at all?
1: By the 19th century the Iliad had shrunk to the status of a mere fable. Homer had turned into a schoolbook for teaching greek to science of the higher classes even the place where troy had been was now forgotten troy was just a figment of the mind homer's mind until 1868 when a very remarkable man walked onto the scene heinrich schliemann
5: This year, I will solve the Trojan riddle once and for all, gentlemen.
4: Anyone hearing Schliemann's history can't help but be enraptured by it. Just take the circumstances, someone who drops it all and goes on fulfilling his childhood dream.
5: I will have a huge horizontal ditch dug through this
4: mound. Everybody in the 19th century with any education knew the Iliad. And here comes a guy who digs it all up. Everything comes together. The Hellenes, the whole sex and crime story coming into it, with all the heroes walking about.
0: Not that Schliemann can truly be called the discoverer of Troy. Sorry, Germany.
1: Others had already identified this as Ilion, And this man, at the feet of Schliemann on a later photograph, Englishman Frank Calvert, had even bought much of the in the hope of making money from it. Time would prove him right, or rather Schliemann would, and eclipse Frank Calvert with ruthless drive and ambition. But the Schliemann who met Frank Calvert here in 1868 was at
0: that point a man desperately at a loss, what to do with himself. Schliemann was a bundle of complexities. In Schliemann's background was the powerful figure of his father, uh, whom he both loved and hated. He believed that his father had driven his mother into an early grave.
2: His father had been
0: a Lutheran pastor, uh, a a rum character, uh, certainly a heavy drinker, uh, an adulterer, possibly an embezzler of church funds. He was certainly accused of that and there was a long case against him. Schliemann felt that all the family money had gone into fighting this case, and that his own education had been sadly neglected. He had to leave school when he was 14, and that gave him a sense of inferiority.
1: Of small stature, only 1 meter 68 short, he employed every trick in the book to make himself look more imposing. Mm -hmm. Immensely vain, he wore shoes with thick heels, designed his own elegant clothing to enhance his stature and extravagance. Here was a man who could lie, cheat, exploit others without scruples, only to leave his mark, satisfy an obsession to reach for respectability a man aching to move up the social ladder by means of some genteel academic activity
0: he'd made a pile of money in russia as a commodities dealer on the saint petersburg stock exchange but he'd got fed up with it and he was going through a midlife crisis he'd fallen out of love with his first wife even going to america to fix a divorce and he was looking for something to do when Calvert gave vent to his ideas on Troy, Schliemann saw a golden opportunity to leave behind all his unresolved conflicts and to reach forward for respectability.
1: Homer became Schliemann's Bible. King Priam of Troy, Agamemnon of Mycenae, Ulysses, would make him sink his shovel throughout the Homeric world and uncover the remains of mighty Mycenae, Tiryns, Sparta, He became obsessed with the will to prove that the heroes of the Iliad and Odyssey had really existed and procure himself greatness into the bargain. For that, everything had to fit the picture.
5: I baptize these holy remains
0: with the names of Ilias and Troy. Including the woman by his side. Yes, he decided he wanted a new wife. He went about it in quite a businesslike way. Uh, he got in touch with his old Greek tutor who had taught him while he was in Moscow, now living in Athens. And he said, could you send me photographs of some eligible Greek girls? And uh, he picked a young, malleable girl, well, malleable as he thought, uh, girl called Sophie. He wanted her to be his companion in archaeology Uh, actually it turned out that she didn't much like archaeology and she got away from the excavations as much as she could he was 46 she was 18. Um, you should you should see the wedding photo you have never seen such a miserable looking pair Um, and i think really sophie got the worst of it the beauty beside the
1: genius but Sophie resisted being forced into Schliemann's vision and often took flight from a Prussian lord and master into illness. A doctor the couple consulted in Dresden diagnosed you suffer from your husband madam and suggested the therapy of motherhood but even surviving him for decades she'd always remain loyal to his memory brooking no criticism of him nor
0: of his methods. His methods were extremely crude, I mean, he was using crowbars and winches and battering rams, a thought which causes absolute horror in an archaeologist today. But his actions, though crude, were rational. He thought about strategy, and he was clever enough to accept good advice, which he sought out more and more as time went on and he thought like an archeologist, and that that is a great strength. He could understand the jigsaw puzzle. Gradually, he
1: learned to work with more method, and did so on a scale that it turned him into one of the fathers of archeology span in spite of his mistakes. His greatest victory, one of them.
0: These thick layers of orange, gray, and black are the result of a huge fire which laid Troy in ruins. No wonder Schliemann, when he found it, thought that he'd got the Troy of Homer, Priam, Achilles, and the heroes.
1: It was to be one of those moments in archaeology one never forgets. Schliemann's greatest find, his greatest error.
0: Priam's treasure. But he was wrong. It turned out that these are not the remains of Homer's Troy, but the burnt ruins of another earlier settlement, more than a thousand years earlier, which we now call Troy II, and which is being partly reconstructed here.
1: But the find gave Schliemann a strong tool to further forge his myth.
0: There's a famous photograph of Sophie dressed up in the jewelry that was found as a part of Priam's treasure. Um, And because Schliemann thought it was Priam's treasure, uh, he liked to call it Helen's Jewels. People think that he did this on the site. It's quite untrue, actually. Sophie was not here when the treasure was discovered. She'd already gone back to Athens a couple of weeks earlier because her father had died.
1: Hiding it from Turkish eyes, Schliemann spirited his treasure away to Athens where he owned a large mansion. But Turkey had a perfectly rightful claim to the find and pursued him there with lawsuit upon lawsuit. Schliemann heard one night
5: that the decision of the court of Athens
3: wouldn't be favorable for him. And so he
5: hastened to gather all these important finds and spirit them out of the house in the dead of night. And when next day the authorities came, there wasn't anything to be found. Schliemann was amazed and searched up and down the house, but he couldn't find anything. So he said, well, it must be old Priam
0: himself who came and took it all. Schliemann now found himself with a white elephant on his hands. He tried to sell it to the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, to the Louvre, to the British Museum. No one wanted to buy it.
1: Finally, he decided to just give it away. Germany had just united into empire, and in comparison to other major capitals, Berlin was still a backwater. Schliemann's present helped put it on the map.
0: When Charles Newton of the British Museum visited the Berlin Museums and saw them filled with Schliemann's treasure, he said, now you've really got a capital here.
1: Priam's treasure, so-called, bought Schliemann what he craved for, fame. A place on the list of honorary citizens of Berlin, respectability.
0: He wouldn't realize his mistake until his dying days. What he got wrong in the case of Priam's treasure was he tried to use Homer as a historical document. Homer mentions the household treasure of Priam. Schliemann found something which was a treasure and he thought it must be Priam's. But he was forgetting that Priam is primarily a legendary figure. Nobody has proved that there was such a person as Priam. Certainly not Homer. Homer didn't prove it. Homer gave us a wonderful poem. But he doesn't give us history.
1: If Homer doesn't give us history, what is true about his story? What is true about Troy? Throughout the 20th century, scholars have become aware that we can't even be sure that Troy is indeed this Troy, the Troy where Schliemann thought it was. That increasing doubt also gave room for new conjectures fanning the fantasy. From some curious features which might suggest a canal or harbour works, German archaeologist Singer began to see not Troy here, but encircled by wondrous waterworks, mighty Atlantis of myth, and, as Plato described, destroyed by cataclysm. Just judging on vague similarities of names, the author, Eamon Wilkins, had the war against Troy not fought on shores of the Aegean,
0: but of the North Sea. Wilkins has Homer coming from here in the Netherlands, with Achilles coming from Bruges, and Odysseus from Cadiz in Spain. And good morning to you, Captain. All heroes, really, in a struggle between
1: Iron Age Celts from the continent and early Britain. Troy being on the Gog Magog Hills, close to Cambridge.
0: There was an Iron Age fort here, here's the defensive ditch. So these would have been the walls of Troy.
1: So is this then truly where Homer set the scene for his Iliad? Or did Schliemann jump to conclusions even over this as well? I
5: baptize these holy remains with the names of Ilias and Troy.
1: Schliemann's successor here was Dorfeld, later Blegen. Grass then grew on these ruins for over half a century until 1988 when the German Manfred Kochmann and an international team of archeologists dug in their spades again. A difference.
4: Durpfelt and Plegen were classical archaeologists who dug holding Homer in their hands. And Korfman did not take Homer as his starting point. He started from the cultural history of mankind, which opened a completely new perspective. He simply was not out to verify Homer eigentlich nicht Homer verifi An essential difference.
1: Kaufmann applied cool, new methods to piece this puzzle back together.
5: That's archaeology. Knowing what's what, understand it,
1: register it and sort it. And results came. On the fields under the citadel, geomagnetic measuring brought out traces of a lower city at one time sprawling below the citadel. Excavation brought further proof that these fields had once housed
2: a city center of considerable dimensions. so all that comes to figures of seven to 10,000 people, which could squeeze together in a case of war behind the walls of Troy. Starting as a modest citadel
1: housing hundreds, Kaufmann began to see the contours of a city 10 times bigger, Housing thousands at the time Homer seems to refer to, a considerable power for the time. But he met backbiting from colleagues back home, some calling Kaufmann a fantasist, the von Deniken of archaeology, a scathing epitaph.
5: Of course, we can discuss everything calmly, sensibly. But how it's phrased is not without importance either.
2: When
1: virtually the whole community of archaeologists, home and abroad, sided with Kaufmann, his opponents bit dust.
4: Well, I may have been a bit rash in stating it. That's why I already publicly withdrew it three times also in a letter to the rector, and take it back now, again, if necessary. Korfman and the scholars working with him
1: have since been making spectacular progress in getting the pieces of the puzzle together. A process with a modest start just a few years ago.
2: The researchers since 200 years look to this place only from one uh, geographical angle from Greece. Uh, Could you mir me the Siegel of Donald? This uh, is a piece of writing oriented towards Asia Minor, means Anatolia, found in 1995 by Donald Easton. This uh, seal is a piece of a mosaic, so by good chance we have here the seal of a woman and a man, a scribe.
0: This is where we found the seal. And it was important, because it was the earliest piece of writing ever found here. And it was in Hittite hieroglyphs. And that helped set people thinking again about the connections eastwards.
1: A modest find, but of such implications that it was made the emblem of the excavation.
2: A seal cannot be the argument, but it fits into cremation rituals, that means into religious uh, understandings. There was Indo-European population living here in language. The culture, the pottery is Anatolian here. Uh, The fortification type is Anatolian. So we have uh, this symbol as an emblem to show that this was an important place at the end of the Oriental world. It was not a huge City, It was not something like Atlantis or something like this, uh, but it was towards Europe, a city of importance. Uh, This is the end of the Oriental world. But that is
1: not how Homer describes it. Troy, he sees as the end of the Western world, his own world. That's how he learnt it. And he has his heroes and actors,
0: Trojan or Achaean, speak Greek all alike. Well, he would, wouldn't he? What else would he know hundreds of years later? And anyway, he had to, to make himself understood as in a novel or in a film. But to understand the real Troy, we should look not to the West and to the Greeks, but to the East and to a high civilization that's now hardly remembered, the Hittites. A hundred years ago, Almost nothing was known about the Hittites, apart from a few mentions in the Bible. Something was known from Egyptian records. There's a great battle where the Pharaoh Ramses II clashes with them in North Syria. Two great powers coming together in battle, as a result of which both kings declare one another to be brothers. This was a power which rivalled even Egypt. There was the core territory, which was in central Turkey. There was a very important regency in North Syria, and there were client kingdoms, notably in Western Turkey.
1: Hatoushash, the capital, a site archaeology has barely begun to nibble at. Huge archives were found here, which were often not fully understood. That is now changing.
0: Masses of documents. These were the archives of the Hittite Empire.
1: Have these archives made any difference?
0: Oh, they've made an enormous difference. They've given us a complete history for most of the second millennium BC in Turkey. There are texts which mention this strange place, Ahiawa, but it seems to get more important as time goes on, and the impression we get of it is that it lay overseas to the west, and that it was a power capable of attracting the kingdoms of Western Anatolia into its orbit, and the Hittites saw it as a rival.
1: Can be Achaia or Achaia, land of the Greeks that Homer writes about? Pieces of a puzzle. The name Vilusa several times over. Vilusa, Ilios as ancient Greeks said, or Ilios, as Homer calls Troy.
0: And there is the name Tarwisa or Truissa. Perhaps that's how it was pronounced, uh, which sounds pretty much like... Troas, Troya.
1: Pieces of a puzzle. In the Hittite capital, Hattusha, a man-built cave covered with inscriptions. Significant, these?
0: Enormously important, enormously important. One of the really big, big problems in Hittite history is that from the texts, we've known so many place names, but we haven't known where they were on the map. And one of them, Wilusa? It includes, that includes Wilusa and Tarwisa. We didn't know where to put them. And this inscription actually helps us to pin down what was where. And this has contributed to our now being able to say that Wilusa and Tarwisa were in Northwestern Anatolia and probably were Troy. This is another piece of the puzzle, a famous treaty between the Hittite king and the king of Willusa. And it mentions as a king of Willusa, Alexandus, a name which is very much like the Greek Alexandros, the alternative name for Paris, who was the son of King Priam, the one who started it all with Helen of Troy. So this tablet brings together Hittite history archaeology and Homer. And the other interesting uh, feature of this document is that it mentions the sacred underground watercourse of Willusa as one of the divine witnesses to the treaty. And that is what we think has been found at Troy. There can be no doubt.
1: There is simply nothing like it anywhere else around.
2: Hittite world gods can be trees springs caves mountains to see is God so um, this is uh, the God as a, a witness God of the Alexander treaty was a road in the earth connected with water we are in the place of a God
1: sleuthing through time this is Kaskal hundreds of meters of underground corridors the underground water system of Troy.
0: What an achievement, all this system of of caves behind us. Oh, this is quite a complex. And it wasn't just the work of villagers, that's for sure. That is fantastic. And Bronze Age, all of it. Probably early the passage that.
1: 2500 maybe BC. Festival. Sleuthing through time and getting closer to the time Homer refers to.
2: The stele must be of the same time as the tower uh, behind it. They were built in the 13th century. It is a later one addition to this fortification. So this means that um, in the 13th century, there were some stress or some special situations which provoked such work.
1: Is it inspired by this treaty of Alexandru of that same 13th century? In it, Velusa and the Hittite empire ally themselves to ward off
2: danger from abroad. And where we, uh, we excavate, we find uh, storages. Uh, uh, there are large vessels everywhere, uh, which shows this. Signs of pressure, mounting. Yes, uh, this is what we feel. Uh, the ditch is enlarged to the south. The fortification system is enlarged, obviously, because there was not in sp- enough space. People are squeezing together in the lower city. They come even into the fortification uh, to use the space available. Getting closer,
1: press conference, Frank Starke is the scholar who puzzled out where Vilusa lay. He's come up with another find, a sensation. A letter had already been known of the Hittite king to the High King of Achiawa, Homer's Achaeans, asking him to stop harassing Hittite lands, a message from east to west. In another clay tablet, Starke has now recognized an answer, a message from the Greek side. A letter from west to east, and we can now conclude that its sender was the king of
4: Achiawa. In the letter which Mr. Starke now has re-edited, the focus is on the islands before Wilusa, before this land here. And the king of Achiawa writes to the king of Hattusa. You, my brother, claim they are yours, but I can prove they are mine. It all comes together in the 13th century, when it obviously came to heavy tension. And there also was a conflict, which we are aware of somewhat longer already, around Milawanda, around Milete. Another
3: conflict.
1: In Milet, the earliest Greeks had settled for hundreds of years with good reason for the trade route through the Meander River Valley to the heart of Anatolia made Milet the gateway to the riches of the East, until the Hittites conquered it when the kingdoms there allied with Hattushash.
3: Uh, we are digging now for nine years in the Bronze Age levels of uh, Miletus, which is named Milawanda in the Hittite text. Uh, Milawanda was lost, was taken over by the Hittites.
1: Now that loss, if the, the, the earliest Greeks had been there for centuries,
3: yes, already, yes. was uh-huh. a painful loss.
2: It was a painful loss, and this painful loss is painful because actually this area where where Milavande is situated, the area around Izmir, Smyrna, is the entrance to Anatolia. So maybe the Achaeans were looking for other spheres, and it is clear that here is an entrance gate to the Black Sea region,
3: to Southeast Europe. So one can imagine a scenario uh, of a Greek expedition against Troy, after the fall of Milawanda, to fill this gap.
1: And the letter may hold another surprise. In it, Stachke finds the king of the Greek Achaeans calling himself an heir of Karmos, a name well known. In Hittite, Karmus, and the name Cadmos is inseparable from the city of Thebes.
4: And that now has consequences, also for the history of Greece. For the history of Greece, very large consequences, but also for Homer. What it means
1: is that in this period, which historians call the Mycenaean period, That capital of Achillava was at this point not this Mycenae, and his high king maybe not Homer's Agamemnon. High kings could also come from Thebes. And an odd thing in Homer falls into place, when he has the Greek ships not gather at Mycenae, but to the north, in Aulis, harbour of
4: Thebes. At that time, Thebes was the capital, so that the ships had to gather in the harbour of Thebes.
2: This is a
3: great puzzle, because so many things happened at the same time. Reinterpretations of Hittite texts, new finds of different disciplines. But we are getting this puzzle together. It's really exciting times.
0: (laughs) It's not to say that we've found the Trojan War, we haven't got Agamemnon, we haven't got Priam, we haven't got Helen, we haven't got the thousand ships. What we have got, however, is a crystal clear context in which a Trojan war of some sort could very likely have happened.
1: The sack of Troy was but the beginning of a nightmare. The terror of drought, years on end brought people on the move throughout the ancient world. The Bronze Age ended, Greek Achaia withered, Mycenae was deserted, the Hittite Empire crumbled.
0: A cloud of destruction swept across the world to the very gates of Egypt. The fall of Troy was but the beginning of a dark age, which enveloped the whole of the East Mediterranean.
1: It would take four, five hundred years of barbarism before civilization began to awake, a rebirth which brought Homer and his Iliad. It is now thought quite possible that Homer came himself to see this site of legend already ancient in his own time.
2: You could uh, envisage Uh, people coming over there, enemies, going over the plain. And here, the fortification wall is very, very near. So near that, for example, Helena could explain by viewing to the attackers who is who. For somebody who was told the story in the 8th century, um, this may be, well, understandable. But I'm not telling that the Trojan War happened here, but I tell something like Edgar Wallace writing a criminal story about London, so the background should fit to what is written, the fog and
4: Big Ben. We're still not able to say the Trojan War took place. And I also suppose that no one now seriously believes that it took really ten years and that it was all about the beautiful Helen, etc, etc. Those are nice embellishments. Homer, of course, didn't write it with the intention to be used by future generations as an historical source. This uh,
2: city was very vulnerable here. So at a certain point, they closed this gate. And this again shows the stress which we do have here. Um, in uh, the 13th century. A gate like this must have been seen by every uh, visitor in the 8th century as well.
1: Which is possibly the time when Homer came here to
2: look at the ruins. Yes, it is a time when Homer or his informants we do not know who Homer was. Came here to see, to look at the ruins, and this maybe is a place, or actually it should be the place, where a story of Andromache, uh, when she says, "Look, uh, you can f- defend your city here, where the gate, uh, where the fortification wall is so vulnerable, and uh, nearly uh, several times the enemy uh, attacked, uh, got in." Uh, so you feel that uh, Homer or his informants. Could see that broken situation, the blocked gate um, and the vulnerable fortification wall. And uh, near the plain, we have a spring with uh, stone basins. So visitors, uh, Homer, or his informants, could refer to such a spring when they say, when Hector was slain, he was uh, killed near the springs. Or that the Trojan women are not washing their washings anymore here because the enemy is in the country.
4: Homer told an old story, which had been passed on by many generations of bards before him. Memory fragments which had come down to him probably from the 13th century onwards on to the 8th century, by repeated performances improvised before audiences, told in a fixed verse, the Hexameter.
1: And that's how it goes on, hexameter upon hexameter,
5: on and on.
4: 15,693 hexameters for the Iliad. The singing, pounding rhythm of words, rhyme and song, supports for memory to
1: make the myths survive the centuries. An example is how India today preserves its great epic the Mahabharata sung by priests and bards in rhyme and rhythm.
4: The purpose Homer had is, in my opinion, to use this history as a mirror for his own times, the eighth century. And what is the problem of that eighth century? That the nobility, the leading caste, which had defined everything for many centuries without contest in the eighth century, came under threat by the rise of new segments of society. Merchants, sailors, handworksmen and had to fear them as a threat to their supremacy. Homer tells us with his Iliad, against the background of the ancient story of Troy, if you want to survive as nobility, you cannot quarrel amongst one another. You must be one. The quarrel between Agamemnon and Achilles, which is made up later on, is very wrong. That, in my opinion, is the hidden message of the Iliad.
2: But Helena, we will never find and uh, we will never find any remains of all the actors of the Trojan War. We take Homer as a witness of his own times, the eighth
0: century. And okay, it's possible. Some of the characters might be remembered by tradition from the Bronze Age. Achilles, Helen, who knows? It's not inconceivable. Maybe the horse, could be. None of it's certain, but a possibility. Even the horse. This horse adorns the site of
1: Troy today as a plaything for tourists. So what about Homer's ruse, through
0: which the Greeks at last gained access to the city? A very important element in Hittite religion was the giving of offerings to the gods, sometimes of wine. And this was often poured out from animal-shaped vessels, like these bulls, for example, and you can see there's a spout in the back. But they didn't have to be in the shapes of bulls. They could be in the shapes of lions, for example, or wild boar, or even ducks. I think the clue comes from the Hittite site of Alajahug in central Turkey, where the gate to the city is flanked by two sphinxes and beside them, we see a religious procession. Here's the god, here's the altar. The real things are in the museum, but here at the site itself, we have some concrete copies. Here's the god, the king, sacrificial animals, and you can see how the procession goes on. But this is what interests me. Now, you remember these model bulls used for pouring libations to the gods? Well, come and look at this. Another libation vessel. There's the spout. But this one is simply enormous. It's bringing up the rear of the whole procession and it's rolling on great wheels, and it's more than life-sized. And to me, what this suggests is that when Troy was a great city, Such things as huge animal-shaped vessels on wheels really did exist. They were known. They could be in the shape of the bull. Why not in the shape of the horse? And why shouldn't someone have devised the idea of using one to besiege a city?